Hi, it's the 13th of August, 2021. This is the Room Now podcast, and I'm Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. Thanks for joining me here on the podcast. We're going to review some things uh, from this week on the podcast, from the website, from FDA reports, and even a tidbit from my lecture today at the CCR conference here in Destin. Uh, I want to start with something I ended last week with but didn't get to, and that's a head-to-head trial of upadacitinib in patients with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. This is a head-to-head trial against sort of a standard, an FDA-approved drug in the in that space called uh, dupilumab. Uh, and in a six-month study, it actually did really, really well. In fact, was superior to the comparator, 71% versus 61% in what they have as their skin outcomes called an ESI-75. Um, encouraging data, as you know, um, atopic dermatitis seems to be on the radar for all the JAK inhibitors that are in play. Speaking of new drugs, relatively new to the rheumatology space is Nucala or Mepolizumab, as you know, um, a drug that's been very important in treating hyper eosinophilic syndromes. It was approved for use in uh, severe asthma uh, and was approved a few years ago, I think 2017, for Churg-Strauss syndrome, also known as EGPA. A real-world experiential review from a European cohort looked at the use of mepolizumab in patients with EGPA, specifically looked at the approved dose of 300 milligrams given sub-Q every four weeks versus the 100 milligram dose given uh, every four weeks, which is sort of the asthma dose. Turns out that they seem to have done equally well. The point being that you might be able to get away with less drug with the same effects. Um, and again, it merits further study is basically the take home from the authors of that study. Uh, lupus and treatment of lupus is something of grave concern to all of us. Somewhat worrisome was this report that appeared about the problem of polypharmacy in lupus patients. Uh, you know, this is a cohort of lupus patients within mean age of 62. So now we're already talking about like older people polypharmacy, which is a gigantic problem, as you know. Uh, I would like to know from, you know, from other cohorts where the mean age is 30 something, meaning you've got people from their teens, you know, to their 40s that you're managing. um, Do they have the same problem with polypharmacy? But nonetheless, in this 206 cohort, um, polypharmacy, meaning more than 10 drugs being taken actively at one time was seen in a third of patients, 35%. Um, the majority of those were actually on benzodiazepines, 31%, uh, and 24% were taking opioids, also worrisome. Polypharmacy in this cohort was greater if you lived in rural environments, were taking prednisone, and also if um, you had other comorbidities. Uh, again, a grave problem, but bo- bottom line is polypharmacy, if you were guilty of it, meaning if you were on 10 drugs or more, you had a 4 fold increased risk of benzos, and a seven-fold increased risk of opioids. Not good. Um, My buddy from Australia, Peter Nash, had a great tweet that uh, pointed me to this uh, Annals Rheumatic Disease report about another IL-23 inhibitor uh, looking good in a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled, 52-week phase two study of tildrakizumab. Good outcomes, another 23 inhibitor, looks like it has the same um, a safety profile. Thanks, Dr. Nash, for pointing us out this yet another 
IL-23 inhibitor. Again, the numbers of drugs we're going to have in that psoriatic space, this seems to be getting larger and larger. Um, I hope you have enough patience to use all these different drugs. Uh, speaking of new uses of new drugs, tofacitinib uh, being tested in a small uh, sort of pilot trial Otakiasu's arteritis, patients who had failed other therapy, 53 patients, 27 received uh, TOFA with glucocorticoids, the other received methotrexate versus glucocorticoids. At 12 months, complete responses were more common with tofacitinib compared to methotrexate, a drug you would commonly use in uh, when you're frustrated about treating Takiasu's. Complete response, 88% on the JAK inhibitor, 56% on methotrexate, lower glucocorticoid use, and less relapses with the JAK inhibitor, 12% versus 35%, significant. Yet another condition where maybe we should see some drug development, some head-to-head trials, um, further study is warranted. Uh, something came up this week, and I put out a, just sort of a, 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 a tweet from uh, rheumatology.com where I reviewed um, TB-associated arthritis syndromes, and I, got a, I found a paper that sort of looked at this as well, but the bottom line is that musculoskeletal complications of tuberculosis are actually quite uncommon, probably less than 5% overall, and more common in patients who have evidence of lung disease or pulmonary TB. Can present, usually presents as monoarthritis, oligoarthritis, but there's a lot of other things that happen, including tenosynovitis, dactylitis, spondylitis, they call that POTS disease. Reactive arthritis due to TB, they call that Ponset's disease, or even polyarthritis. And that was the report that I put up there in the link, that there are even cases of TB-associated uh, polyarthritis proven by fluid uh, culture or biopsy culture. Um, young folks on this um, uh, podcast, if you're listening, um, I think you should look at this uh, nice video that's on our YouTube channel, on our website, I think. Certainly, it's in the show notes for this podcast. Marwan Bukhari, who is the uh, executive editor, or the, I'm sorry, the editor-in-chief. I'm the executive editor room now. He's the editor-in-chief. We editors, we do love our titles, don't we? But Marwan deserves it. I'm not sure I do, but Marwan deserves it. He's the editor-in-chief of Rheumatology, a great journal. But he's got a nice video about putting together an abstract, the elements of an abstract that need to be put together. And that's putting up an abstract like for presentation or submission to ACR or ULAR, and then also becomes very helpful in the design of your abstract for your poster or even your presentation. Check out that video. I think you'll like it. Um, I like this report this week about filgotinib and its effects on the SI joint. You know, what we do know that these powerful drugs that we use to treat spondyloarthritis TNF inhibitors, you know, and then now IL-17s and JAKs are in play and, you know, uh, other drugs have failed. But we show clinical improvement by many measures, BASDI, ACES-20, ACES-40, um, but ACES partial remissions, um, ASDAS, and I mean, it really goes on, but, you know, not a lot of talk about x-ray um, uh, uh, protection, like you see in RA. RA, the change in the x-rays is rapid. Change in x-rays with spondylitis are slow. So often we don't have the data, even long-term data, two years data or beyond. It's kind of hard to find. The hope was that maybe MRIs would help us, but MRIs became, you know, if you look at a lot of them and anyone shows you a picture of an MRI that got better on a biologic, 
they're showing you the best of the ones that they looked at. They're very fuzzy. They're very, it's a lot of noise. It's very hard to do this. Well, there's a methodology for reviewing and scoring MRIs. It's called the, the SPARC or the SPARC SSS and whatnot. Nice study, 87 patients with ankylosing spondylitis who go on filgotinib, a selective JAK1 inhibitor. They looked at uh, SI scores, uh, SI erosion scores. And in this trial, if you got a JAK inhibitor, you had significantly less um, SI erosions, P less than 0.02, um, compared to those who took placebo. In that study, um, the SPARC MRI SI inflammation scores were really driven by erosion scores because there was no difference between the placebo group and the, the filgotinib group with regards to ankylosis scores or fat metaplasia. This is notable because this was seen in all of 12 weeks, and that's hard to prove. If this pans out, hopefully we'll see this kind of, uh, of research going on with other drugs going forward in spondoarthritis. Congratulations to those researchers. Um, congratulations to all of you and how well you manage your RA patients. You certainly noticed that whatever you're doing the last 10 years, you've got a lot less patients going to orthopedic surgery. Your orthopedic buddies are saying, hey, what happened? Pookie, don't you love me? Why don't you send me some patients? Um, and, you know, there's good data as to why that's happened. More aggressive control of inflammation means less damage, means less surgery. Well, this comes out in a, in a paper this past week showing that biologics clearly uh, reduced the need for hip and knee replacement. Data from really large cohort from British Columbia, 60,000 RA patients compared to, and, and, and then hundred and no, 288,000 OA uh, patients, and they looked at the incidence rates for uh, hip replacement and knee replacement in the pre-biologic era and then post-biologic. And what they clearly showed, and their biologic era starts around 2000, 2001, 2002, that in RA patients diagnosed after the biologic era onset, that they were either 27% uh, less likely to have knee replacements, and they were 13% less likely to have hip, um, hip replacements. Let me reverse that. 27% less hip replacements, 13% less knee replacements. By contrast, the OA patient, the rates of hip and knee replacements went up after that 2002 date. So clearly, you're doing something great with the biologics that you're using. They weren't specific about which biologic. If you want to get rheumatologist attention, talk about methotrexate. Well, here we got an abstract on the safety and tolerability of methotrexate. Really large cohort, single center cohort, 8,300 patients on DMARDs for RA, 2,000 on methotrexate orally, 949 on sub-Q. Do you really have a one-third of your methotrexate patients on sub-Q and two-thirds on oral? What are these people thinking? What are they doing? I'm a little suspicious. Well, the median dose for oral was 15 milligrams. The median dose for sub-Q sub was 20 milligrams, higher, a little suspicious. Continuation rates were higher with sub-Q methotrexate. That's interesting. Because when you give more drug, especially when you give it subcutaneously, you're giving more drug, you're going to get more toxicity. Well, they showed higher retention rates, longer duration of therapy. They said less adverse events with sub-Q methotrexate monotherapy, but less compared to what? Compared to biologics, compared to combinations. They didn't say compared to oral methotrexate. 
Because head-to-head, -head, you got to have less side effects with oral methotrexate than sub-Q if you're using equivalent doses. That's just the, the biology of it all. But compared to oral methotrexate, sub-Q methotrexate had a non-significant trend towards less neutropenia. Not sure I believe that, but a slightly higher rate of transaminitis. I do believe that because you're giving more drug. I think there's something to be said about using more subcutaneous methotrexate. You have greater assurance about what they're getting. Um, um, there's not an absorption issue. Uh, you're going to get more quickly to responses and also more quickly to toxicity. A lot of pediatric sites prefer sub-Q methotrexate over oral. I don't know if this is the way of the world with adult rheumatologists. This week, the FDA issued a warning, strange warning, about manufacturers should lower or reduce their scary risks about statins during pregnancy. I didn't even know there was a risk of statins during pregnancy, but in fact there are. Um, statins can appear in breast milk, um, and that may have consequences uh, with kids. Their recent review of statin safety during pregnancy basically says during pregnancy it's pretty safe to use these drugs, and they're er urging the um, manufacturers of statins to take that out of their label. I don't know if that concerns you, but there are some concerns about statin use during pregnancy. A lot about COVID that's worth reviewing. First, Anakinra meta-analysis appeared in Lancet Rheumatology saying overall less mortality when Anakinra was used in usually severe hospitalized COVID patients. Um, and uh, again, as you know, there's a biology reason for this. Patients who are more likely to respond to Anakinra were patients who had either higher CRP levels and or hyperferritinemia, not necessarily yet having macrophage activation syndrome. Um, another really, uh, two abstracts that basically go to the issue of booster shots. So there was a report that appeared in MedPage today about the efficacy of booster shots in transplant recipients. Small numbers, patients getting the Moderna vaccine, they'd already been vaccinated more than six months ago with the, the COVID-19, two shots of the COVID-19. Now they get a, um, uh, a booster shot and they more than tripled the number of people who had a sufficient response. Um, it was a randomized trial, uh, small but randomized. I think we're gonna soon see a recommendation for this. This is backed up by a recent Israeli patient study showing that people who were vaccinated um, more than six months ago, now in the midst of the Delta um, virus, wor worrying about the patient. Turns out when you look at their the vaccine um, uh, titers that or the seroconversion rates that they're diminishing over time, and they have some preliminary evidence that using boosters would also work by boosting up those titers. So I think this is a discussion that's going on. I previously was telling patients, don't worry about it. We need to see more data. We're starting to see more data. Your patients who can't get booster vaccines legally um, until the FDA uh, approves that as an emergency use authorization, I would hold off until that happens. But I do foresee that happening sometime soon. That was a very telltale tweet from Ajish Shah, uh, Shah who is an uh, epidemiologist, MPH, uh, MD. Uh, bright guy is often interviewed on um, the TV shows and CNN. His tweet, very simple. The five states who have the most vaccinated numbers, those that includes 14 million individuals, currently have 580 people in the hospital and 12 deaths. When you compare that to the five least vaccinated states in the United States, about 16 million, they got 6,600 people hospitalized and 104 deaths. That means, yes, 
the vaccines work because if you get vaccinated or you live in those states, I would assume it's the vaccine and not the states, you have tenfold less risk of hospitalization and sevenfold less risk of death. Yes, vaccination works. I'm going to end with a question I had today at the um, my lecture on the year in review on RA. I was reviewing guidelines from ULAR and ACR in a treatment of RA. I got a question from the audience. Um, will the current guidelines change, um, you know, the recommendations of Jim O'Dell and, and others, you know, about the use of methotrexate, the use of triple DMARD therapy? And I said, you know, uh, generally, no. I think the current guidelines, especially ACR guidelines, they love methotrexate. They want to force you, strongly urge you to go to methotrexate first, uh, almost in all instances, and minimize steroids and appropriately indicate where triple DMARD would be, have a good utility. But I, unfortunately, I, I sort of talked a little bit too much, and I said, well, you know, I really hate Jim O'Dell. I mean, no, really. It's, I'm going on record. I hate Jim O'Dell, and I hate him for many reasons. One, he beats me whenever I have a uh, debate with him. It's it's just pitiful what he does to me. I and I have no no smart comebacks to him. He and I haven't debated him in a while because he's holding on to a photograph of me in a golf cart. He and I were playing golf. I'm looking bad in the golf cart, exhausted, and he's posted my golf score on the front of the picture so as to show everybody how badly he beat me at golf and how or maybe how badly I played. But the real reason. Jim O'Dell and I are at odds is because I have very strong opinions and yes, Jim O'Dell has very strong data. So what I said in response to the question is, these new guidelines actually fully support a lot of Jim's contentions. Use methotrexate, maximize methotrexate, um, can strongly consider use of triple DMARD therapy and then move on to more expensive biologic and targeted synthetic therapies. Jim, don't ask me to debate you. Take care.